Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. What the heck a Tory is an imprecatory? Oh, we might just close in prayer now because I think you, you are wondering actually what the heck a Tory is an imprecatory. Has anyone done you a disservice and caused you to be angry? Have you ever prayed that they'll fall in a hole or come to some kind of harm? Then you've prayed an imprecatory prayer. Fortunately, God understands our emotions, but we need to trust him for the outcome. Tonight, Dr. Corbett again in Jeremiah asks the question, what the hecatory is an imprecatory? Stay tuned. So let's, let's have a look uh, at this section because I want you to see something that's going to help us to understand scripture generally. And, and that is this point, that in scripture, we're going to see what we call direct lessons. And we're also going to see indirect lessons if you think about the things that you've learned in life you, you probably have had people come up to you and say um you, you want to do this better uh, th- try this but then you've probably had people doing what you wanted to do better who do a lousy job at it and you look at them and go you're hopeless oh i could do that better and you look at the mistakes they're making and you learn from that. Anyone ever done that? You've looked at somebody who, who just did it poorly. And you just think, that's not how you talk to people. That's not how you treat people. That's not how you build a house or do a deal or whatever. And you come away from it. That's called indirect learning. In other words, that person wasn't trying to teach you something. But you can observe them and you can learn from it. Now, this should be quite redemptive news for those of you that are either parents or want to become parents and you may not have had the best parents you can actually turn your parents bad example to you into an indirect positive learning experience do do you understand what i'm saying in other words you you go i don't think my parents got it right with me i'm not going to do that when i'm a parent i'm going to do it this way That's indirect learning. And we see that kind of thing in Scripture, indirect learning. Because in Scripture, we have examples of people who lied. Is Scripture advocating that we lie? We have examples of people that murdered. Is Scripture advocating that we murder? Of course not. It's actually giving these things as what we might call an indirect learning experience. And what you're also going to see is I had some mormons point out to me a long time ago is that there are two accounts of a similar story in scripture that are told differently and this is supposed to show that the bible is unreliable i actually think it shows exactly the opposite have you ever told a story where you've said you know when jesus took the the two loaves and the five fish and he or was that five fish and two loaves? Or well, whatever it was. You, you, you ever done that where you've gone the de- you've kind of jumbled the detail a little bit? Sometimes when people tell stories, they muddle the details. And if if you're hearing it and you're recording it and you you actually tidy up their their telling of the story, do we now have an accurate telling of what they said? No, we don't. And what we're going to find in Scripture is that Scripture accurately records occasions where people muddled the details. You might think, it does not. Well, 
It does. It accurately records it. It's not saying that both events were correct. It's saying when this person retold this event, this is what they said. For example, Genesis 3, we're introduced to a talking animal called a serpent. We don't know what it looks like. We have what we call snakes today and we kind of think they're the same thing. But we know this thing at that time had legs because part of the curse was that it would lose its legs. Whatever that thing was, there was a conversation between it and initially who? Eve. Now someone said Adam. Now that would, and I know what you mean. You, you, you kind of, you're in the, the same ballpark. So this is exactly what I'm talking about. So this thing, representing Satan, had a conversation with Eve. And the, the serpent asked, has God said? Now, it doesn't matter what comes after that. Has God said, and I think it was, has God said you shall not eat of this? And what does Eve say? Eve says, yes, God has said... You sh- we shall not eat of it or, anyone know the rest of that? Touch it. Now here's the question. You go back through Genesis 2 and do we find God saying, don't even touch it? He didn't say that. So should, should the editor have gone, well actually God didn't say that, Eve, you're wrong. I'm not going to record that. No, because then that wouldn't be an accurate portrayal of what Eve actually said. So... Even though what Eve said was wrong, Scripture accurately records it. Now, that's just to set up what we're about to look at here. Let's, let's have a look at verse 14. Jeremiah 17, verse 14. You'll instantly recognise that this is a prayer. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. That's actually a beautiful prayer. It comes on the heels of Jeremiah prophesying some really strong stuff where he has declared to Israel, you've forsaken God, you've turned your back on God, you are sick and lost because you have forsaken the fountain of living water, he says in the previous verse. And then he turns to God in prayer. Notice one is a declare and one is a prayer and they're the two roles of a prophet. One is to speak things out, one is to pray. And it's the two roles. A prophet has essentially two wings. Every bird needs two wings to fly, not one. And so the prophet is declaring things and praying things. And he comes on the heels of that declaration. And he says, but I know God as the one who heals me and the one who saves me. And I will praise him. Oh, that's wonderful. That's music to my ears. That's beautiful. In fact... If, if, you, if you listen to someone's praying, it says a lot about them. The way someone prays says a lot about who they are. Now, of course, the one who's going to hear you're praying the most is probably you. So I want you to consider how you pray. Do you pray? Do you punctuate your life? With prayer? Is that how you pray? Do you pray bitter prayers? Oh God, you know that even though I tried to do the right thing, it was taken the wrong way by all those people. 
And God, I know that you are a God who smites. And if you do have a spare smite, (laughs) there are some people I think that could use one right now. You know, do you pray like that? (laughs) Do, Do you use the word but in your praying? You've heard me talk about the buts of the Bible. Do you, oh God, you know that I have forgiven them, but. The moment you use a but, you've just cancelled out anything you've just said. Is that how you pray? How you pray says a lot about what's really in your heart. And Jeremiah has, I think, honestly revealed something in his heart, but this is not all that's in his heart. We come to the next verse, verse 15. Behold, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. Now, what, what's going on with this? They say to me, what are you talking about? Where's this word that we're going to be invaded by the Babylonians? He's been prophesying that these people are wicked. He's been prophesying that God's going to come in judgment. He's been prophesying that they've turned their hearts to idols, that they have forsaken the bride of their youth, that they have gone after prostitutes. They have gone after all kinds of immorality. He's accused them of taking their young and throwing them into the fire as an offering to Molech. He's accused them of these things, things which people weren't supposed to know about, but he did. And he's declaring it openly and publicly, bringing these people to shame. Now, here's a, here's a question. Jeremiah is under pressure. What do you do when you're under pressure? What do you turn to when you are under pressure? Where do you go when you are under pressure? Because notice what Jeremiah is about to pray. And here's the question for you. Is God your beautiful word, beautiful, beautiful word, savour this like a Swiss chocolate just for a minute or so in your mouth before you swallow it? Is God your refuge? Think of that word refuge. Is God your refuge? We read in verse 17, Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge. In the day of, and I'm kind of expecting this to be the typical sort of expression in the Bible, the day of trouble. But for Jeremiah, his perspective was the day of disaster. This is a disaster. What I'm experiencing is beyond me. It is a disaster. You are my refuge. The only way Jeremiah could withstand the pressure of life was to look to God as his refuge. He was given refuge by God. Now, we're going to come to the last verse of this section. And here's my question before we look at it. How do you spiritually process, in the moment I'm going to introduce the word theologically, how do you spiritually process your anger? Now, don't tell me, well, that's okay. Uh, I've got it figured out. I never get angry. When people hurt me, disappoint me, betray me, say all things about me, oh, it just doesn't faze me. Oh, you're in church. Don't do that. Of all the places to lie, don't lie in church. <laughs> we all get angry. Some people have actually got what we might call an anger problem because it's become a lifestyle habit of how they respond to it in a very negative way. So here's my question. How do you spiritually handle it? Spiritually, what do you do when you are angry? We said before, 
one of the marks of a Christian is, is somebody who prays continually. But when you're angry, do you find it easy to pray? I don't. When I'm angry, I don't. Okay, I'm just going to sit down now and read five chapters of my Bible, get on my knees and pray for peace throughout the world. I don't feel like doing that. I'm angry. I'm steaming. I'm fuming. So how do you process your anger? Here's Jeremiah. He's being publicly humiliated. I wonder if he's a little bit angry with God. I wonder if he feels let down by God. I mean, after all, he's been saying this disaster is going to happen. And of course, if he did feel that way, he wouldn't be the only prophet who felt that way. Remember Jonah? Remember Jonah? 40 days, the city will be destroyed. 40 days come, city's not destroyed. And Jonah says, darn it, I knew you were a forgiving God. I hate that about you. (laughs) He's more concerned about being proven to be a genuine prophet than he is about the welfare of the people that he's prophesying to. So is Jeremiah feeling this way? How do you process anger? Look, let's learn this together, shall we? Let's, Let's learn some things here because what we're about to see, and this is where I want to introduce this word, imprecatory. You probably use this word all the time. <laughs> if, if you deal in ancient Hebrew literature, I forgot to say. Uh, imprecatory, it actually comes from a couple of Latin words and it's, it, it means to wish vengeance or shall we say wish ill upon your foe. You ever felt like that? God, I'm not asking you to take them out quickly. <laughs> Hang on, someone fulfilled my finished my prayer sentence. Make them suffer. <laughs> so we have people in this church, as we've just evidenced, who pray in precatory prayers. <laughs> and that's what they are. They are prayers that pray for people to feel pain. And we will find these in scripture. Like what do you, you know, oh, the Bible is God's message of love and grace and forgiveness. Oh, really? What do you do with Psalm 137 verse 9? Blessed is the one who takes their little ones and dashes their heads against the rocks. Which part of loving and nice and cuddly do you find that verse to file that away in? What do you do with that? That right there, Psalm 137, if we were to, the Psalms are arranged in five different collections of books. And this Psalm, Psalm 137, is actually written by someone who is Jeremiah's audience, who's written this Psalm after all the book of Jeremiah has finished. And they are the victims of what Jeremiah said would happen to Israel. They are actually taken to Babylon, just as Jeremiah said. They are experiencing the misery just like Jeremiah said would happen and they are ticked with the Babylonians. They are so upset with what the Babylonians have done. The butchering, the murdering, the raping, the pillaging and top it off, the Babylonians destroyed the temple. They burned the temple to the ground. So this person, and we don't know who it is, has prayed this prayer in Psalm 137 by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and there they asked for us a song. Sing the songs of Zion, they said. So we hung our harps upon the trees. Boney M? 
There are the whole, oh, thank you. There's a whole bunch of people that are, that are under the age of 30 going, Boney, what? <laughs> it was a top 10 song. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down. And we get to the last verse or so of that psalm and it says, Blessed is he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. That is not friendly. That is what we call imprecatory. Here's what an imprecatory prayer or particularly because you'll find throughout the psalms an imprecatory psalm is wishing this kind of ill or evil upon someone now this is where i'm going to tie back into the foundation that i laid remember how i said scripture doesn't always endorse what it's recording but it records it accurately this is scripture endorsing someone who takes a young babylonian baby and smashes it against the rocks no it's not an imprecatory psalm is a, or an imprecatory prayer is a prayer that sounds like this and God accurately puts it into his inspired scripture because that is genuinely how people felt. Now, what, do we, what can we learn from this? And I want you to see in verse 18, this is kind of what Jeremiah is doing. Hence the title, What the Hecatory is an Imprecatory. And you need to understand this because there are going to be people that say, do you think that we should be taking babies and dashing them against the rock, rocks? And, and you hopefully now will go, hey, listen, there's a lot of things in Scripture that are accurately recorded and inspired by God that God does not endorse. He doesn't endorse rape. He doesn't endorse theft. He doesn't endorse lying. He doesn't endorse murder. And he doesn't endorse the taking of babies and smashing them against rocks. But it's all accurately recorded in Scripture. Got the idea? So we have Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 18. This is what he says. Hear the anger. We ask the question, how do you process anger? Well, Jeremiah's praying his anger. Let those be put to shame who persecute me. But let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. Now, I don't know what double destruction is, but it's twice as bad as normal destruction. <laughs> You're probably going, he's good. That's... I'm going to write that down. That's... Now, what it... you get the idea. You don't need to know what it is. You get the picture here. Jeremiah is angry. And he's asking for God to do the whole lightning bolt thing. He's ticked. He's really angry. And it's in scripture. Now, I know that there are some people who are going, aha, so I can pray like that. Awesome. I just happen to have a list. <laughs> well, just hang on a minute. I want you to see something here. Good people feel angry. Good people feel hurt. Good people get disappointed. Good people are slandered. And good people who love God, follow God, are often rejected. And how does that make them feel? Exactly the same as it makes anyone feel. Hurt. Angry. Deeply disappointed. Gutted. You feel like I'm going to build a brick wall around me so that no one can get that close again. I know all that. I've done all that. And we have that emotional state 
of people accurately recorded in the Bible. And I hope you go, oh, thank God. This is, God used normal people to record scripture? Yeah, he did. And that should cause you to go, wow, that's awesome. Maybe I'm normal too. Well, don't rush ahead. So <clears throat> now, here's, here's this prayer coming out. Now, and you know, I've mentioned that God doesn't respond to it. Except we're going to come into chapter 18 in a couple of messages and God's going to say, Jeremiah, come for a walk. And he takes him down to a potter's house and takes him up to a lump of clay. But I'm jumping ahead. I, I just, I'll come back here. God knows what we go through and God can help. And God did help Jeremiah process this anger. He redirected his emotional energy. He got him back in the game. Notice this is Jeremiah 17, not Jeremiah 52. In other words, it wasn't the end. It's, it's not even a third of the way through. And here we have, or it is a third of the way through. No, it's not, not even a third of the way through. And God is going to get Jeremiah through this. He's going to get him through this. Went to the movies the other day and I saw a preview for a movie where this young Indian guy in a disastrous motel had said to someone, I believe that it always works out well in the end. And if it's not well now, it's obviously not the end. Isn't that nice? That's a little bit of Christian philosophy there from a Hindu. So God knows how to help. Now, here's, here's the point. You know, oh, cool. I'm going to pray like this. I'm going to pray for my enemies to be... Have, I'm going to pray for double disaster on my enemies. And maybe you've got a vivid imagination already of what disaster looks like. But I've got some bad news for you. <laughs> There's no imprecatory prayers in the New Testament. In fact, you're going to find the kind of prayers that make it really difficult for us to become or to be Christians. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you that living the Christian life is impossible. You can't do it. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to live the Christian life. You just cannot do it on your own. We have an example of a saviour on a cross, not praying an imprecatory prayer, but praying a prayer that says, Father, forgive them. What? We have scriptures that, that, that tell us how we should pray for our foes. How should a Christian pray for his foe? Oh, God, expose him. You've seen what he did. You've heard the lies that he's telling about me. God, deal with him. I'm sick of this man. I'm sick of this woman. God, expose them and do it double disasterishly. Lord, get them. Now, who's not felt like praying like that? We all have. But what does the Bible say about how we should pray for those who curse us? Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Yeah, I do. I pray smite, lightning bolt, Egyptian plagues. I pray the whole lot. (laughs) No, no, it's a... I like the expression Karen used before. It's a couplet. See that? Bless those who curse you. Pray for them. It is a couplet. It's saying the same thing two different ways. Bless them. I want you to think about the, 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 the first persecutor of the church, Saul of Tarsus, killing Christians, dragging them out of their homes, killing them. What did the church do? Well, it called a prayer meeting. Acts 12, we had the church in prayer. Or, sorry, Acts, uh, before that, we Acts 5. <coughs> Um, churches in prayer 
Saul's running a rampage. Acts 8, Saul kills Stephen and the, and the church goes into deep prayer. What are they praying? Kill Saul, God, smite Saul. It doesn't, doesn't, the picture doesn't go that way. The picture is, oh God, bless Saul. Reveal who you are to him and didn't God answer that prayer? Turn the greatest persecutor of the church into the greatest blessing to the church. And so you don't know what God's plan and purpose is for those people that are in absolute pain in your life. But pray that God will bless them. And this is, the, this is one of the things that I think we need to see from the New Testament prayers. Because we're going to see this in First Peter. Pray for those that revile you. If you're mocked and you're ridiculed, don't answer them back, but bless them. Look, this is not easy to do. This is impossible. You need God's help. You cannot live this Christian hallmark without the help of the Holy Spirit. So this is what we do see in the New Testament. And they are prayers of trust. They are prayers of worship. Paul and Silas, love the Sarah Grove song, Paul and Silas in jail at midnight. Were they praying, smite these Philippian jailers, curse Caesar, I'm sick of his prisons. No, it says at midnight they were worshipping. That's the Christian response. At mid- what about the jailer who manhandled them and threw them in? What were they doing? How were they praying for him? Probably that he would come to know Christ. And he did. This is different. This is a different way to approach. This is the kind of stuff that makes Christians salt and light because we process life differently. Let's pray. Father, help us to be the kind of people that respond to you in a spirit-led fashion. Now, Lord, I'm aware that there are people that perhaps are dealing with some of these very issues, and for them it is very difficult. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us all the grace to be able to handle the difficult circumstances of life. And I pray, Father, that you would empower each of us to be the kind of salt and light that you want us to be by learning how to bless people, forgive people, and move on without harbouring hurt, rejection, disappointment. Now, Lord, I pray, especially for those people who are hearing me now and they've never given their life to Christ, I pray that you would surrender your life to Christ and perhaps you're saying, he can never forgive me. I could never be forgiven. I've got good news for you. No matter what you've done, no matter who you've done it with, no matter how many times you've done it, God can wipe your slate clean. He can forgive you and give you a brand new start. You are one prayer away from being forgiven by God. One prayer that says, Dear Jesus, please forgive me and give me a brand new start. I want a fresh start in life. I want you in the driver's seat. I want you to help me to live the way I should. You pray a prayer like that, your life can change today and will be changed for eternity. Now, Lord, bless everybody here. In Jesus' name, amen. So now, how are you feeling about your imprecatory prayers? Just as well, God's in charge and not you, isn't it? More from Jeremiah next week. 
podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, What the Hecatory is an Imprecatory, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.